we already do so much and spend so much capital on the experiential side of our movies once you're in our auditoriums, right? We have the number one private label premium large format in the country. We have the highest reclined amount of seats. We're offering D-Box. We have the best light levels. We've rolled out laser projections. So we have that piece down. Once you're inside the auditorium, that's amazing. So we were trying to focus on all the other parts of that experience. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition for over 100 years. I'm joined today here by Sean Robbins. How are you doing, Sean? Not too bad. Not too bad. How was your holiday weekend? It was good. It was, it was how all holiday weekends should be, i.e. lazy. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I did go out to the movies a few times, though, which was I know you did as well. Nice. Yeah, I only made it out once, but it was a big one for my wife and I. We're Marvel fans, so of course we went to catch Ant-Man. Awesome. I'm Sean, they'll be talking about that in a little bit, followed by our feature segment, which has a box office pros Daniel Luria speaking with Wanda Gearhart, head of global marketing at Cinemark. They'll be discussing the future of North America's third largest exhibition chain. This episode is sponsored by Jack Rowe, whose ticketing and POS system can automatically send customers targeted emails based on their behavior and spending trends, offers drag and drop customer reporting, and can even save money on your credit card processing. Thank you so much to Jack Rowe for sponsoring the Box Office Podcast, and please visit www.jackrowe.com to find out more. Both you and I contributed to the opening weekend haul of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. What did you think of the film? I enjoyed it. It may, Maybe it had helped once I saw the Rotten Tomatoes score. I kind of braced myself a little bit. You know, expectations got a little tempered. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe whether or not that had any effect on my personal experience. I just know I went to see it and it was a fun two hours for me. I, I like weird sci-fi comedy. So to mm-hmm. see Marvel do that was a fun time for me. How about you? Yeah, I had a good time with it. I actually saw it in Screen X, so all the trippy vistas really, really lent itself <laughs> quite well to that format. Yeah, absolutely. I caught it in IMAX, so it's it's definitely one of those movies that benefits from a premium screen like those. Well, I want to ask you about, about holdovers here, what you can expect next weekend from Quantumania. But first, I think you have something to brag about, to say, I told you so, schedule release date-wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, part uh, credit to Russ Fisher as well. I think we both had talked about this at one of the end of your podcasts a few months ago when we were kind of speculating about what might happen in 2023. And one of those things came true, and that was Disney and Marvel moving The Marvels, the sequel to Captain Marvel, from July to November of later this year. And it makes a lot of sense, I think, personally, because the summer is just packed. (laughs) May, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and then June for Captain Marvel doesn't doesn't make a ton of sense, especially, I mean, Blade, they originally had in the holiday corridor that's going to next year. Everything kind of shuffled out the way it should have. Yeah, yeah. And it not only gives July some breathing room for those other movies that are coming out, but it really gives November a entire fourth quarter, I think, a much needed big tentpole movie. Not that there were zero, but it just kind of looked like a position on the calendar that could use a few more big movies. So it certainly will will help to have that one for the industry. Do you think anything else from summer is going to move? It's still packed. (laughs) Yeah, it is still packed. I don't know. We're kind of getting into (laughs) the point of no return here very soon. I would say if 
if anything is going to be shuffled, it needs to be announced before CinemaCon in April. And even then, it might be something, it would have to be late summer. The clock is really running down, and it's still very fascinating. I think just looking at basically mid-June through mid-July, you have a major movie opening every single week, and a lot of them are aiming for the same audience. So maybe they can coexist, though. I think if anything is going to, it'll be at that point in the calendar. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about how this COVID-era release pattern of uh, one big movie at the box office and then a couple of weeks and then another big movie doesn't really work. You need a lot of films. You need counter-programming options. And boy, do we have some counter-programming <laughs> this weekend with Cocaine Bear opening from Universal about a bear on cocaine and then from Lionsgate, the faith-based drama Jesus Revolution. For me, that's right up there with like Barbie and Oppenheimer opening on the <laughs> exact same date this July. Yeah, it's certainly a case where I don't think either studio is worried about the other studio <laughs> pulling too much of their audience away. It's It really is the perfect example of counter-programming. And I think Cocaine Bear is an interesting one to talk about just because the question is, how much interest is it going to get outside of the people who are just excited and talking about it online? The fact that it's Cocaine Bear, like one of the greatest titles, maybe one of the greatest <laughs> concepts ever. <laughs> and yeah, I think we talked about it last week. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Snakes on the Plane almost 20 years ago. A little bit of Massive Talent last spring. Uh, it's kind of like that niche comedy, high concept vibe. Yeah, like is this a movie or is it a meme? Right, yeah. And maybe that's a selling point, especially these days. I saw Cocaine Bear last night. I mean, it, it was like a influencer audience and they all seem to like it. Though That's maybe because they like pumped us up with candy before the screening. Oh, there you go. We got pixie sticks. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, you know what? Whoever thought up that idea, genius. Mm -hmm, <laughs> pixie mm -hmm. sticks to go see Cocaine Bear. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to this weekend, Sean. You know, we do have some limited releases coming out, but in terms of things going wide, Cocaine Bear, <laughs> Jesus Revolution, and the second weekend for Ant Man 3. Let's start with that one. What are you thinking in terms of holdover potential? Because it grossed 104 million over the three day weekend. This past weekend when it opened, 118 over the four-day weekend. So it did hit that 100 million mark that you were expecting it would. What do you think the drop's going to be like? Yeah, I think usually we see Marvel movies pretty sharp in that second weekend because these movies are at the point where they're not just front-loaded with fans, but they include Thursday previews starting at 3 o'clock now. It's practically already a four-day weekend, <laughs> added on to the fact that it was a holiday weekend, so Sunday was kind of inflated. So a lot of factors to look at. It's going to be a big drop, it, probably something around 60%, which would be normal. And at that point, we kind of have to look at how much it varies, how much higher it goes. That'll give us a really good idea of where word of mouth stands, which is kind of debatable right now. I think critics are were an indicator that you know this might be another movie that was either hit or miss, kind of like many Phase 4 movies were for Marvel. Some of the audience scores coming out from, from CinemaScore and other sources haven't been super high, but the audience score in Rotten Tomatoes is is pretty similar to the first two Ant-Man movies. And I think maybe that indicates this is playing well to families and, and casual audiences in the way that Ant-Man movies usually do, because it's it literally is a family ensemble. Yeah, who so, doesn't love Paul Rudd? Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, you kind of know what you're going to get, and it's not like Doctor Strange where people got this you know horror movie that maybe they weren't entirely expecting that kind of put off some families. I think Ant-Man can leg out a little bit better than that, hopefully, but we'll see. Plus people talking about Jonathan Majors and Kang, I think that's adding a high curiosity factor because that seems to be the one aspect everybody likes about this movie, if not outright loves. 
Yeah, I really, I really liked him. I thought he was great. I was really curious as to how like an Ant-Man movie was, was going to be the one in the MCU to kind of set up this villain who's going to be the main, you know, Thanos equivalent in, in phase five. And I thought it was, it was interestingly done not to give any spoilers or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of comedy, somewhere on the other side of the spectrum from something uh, (laughs) family-friendly like the MCU, Cocaine Bear, we talked about it a little bit. There's, I mean, Snakes on a Plane is the obvious comp. We've talked about it on the podcast. What are the other comps for this movie? (laughs) And what's a range you're looking at? Because it's uh, it definitely kind of stands apart from the pack, if only because of that title. Yeah, I think the most recent comps to me are things like Massive Talent and Violent Night, two movies that really had pretty good reviews, all things considered. And, you know, people who were interested in those movies really liked them. And especially Violent Night, I think that really did well over the holidays. Massive Talent ended up being a little bit more of a a front loaded kind of not quite an indie movie, but it felt in a lot of ways like an indie movie. So So, it's like a curio, kind of. Yeah, not too far off. And I think that's kind of the range we can really look at. Those movies opened high single-digit millions to low double-digit millions. I think if Cocaine Bear can hover somewhere around 10 million, give or take a little bit, that's a good result for that kind of movie. Okay, that's good. I hope the bear got point. I hope the bear is really uh, (laughs) rolling in the dough after this next weekend, in addition to rolling in the cocaine. And also out this weekend, Jesus Revolution from Lionsgate, which has really kind of carved out a a quite successful niche for itself in the faith-based audience over the last uh, few years. We've seen um, two cinema cons ago where they really leaned hard on the faith-based segment of their programming with the Irwin brothers. John Irwin's co-directing this with Brent McCorkle. What are your expectations? Because the Irwin brothers, their previous films have done quite well. Yeah, this is one that's been a little interesting to track and look at because we've seen a lot of a lot of faith-based releases, whether it's specialty or straight out traditional theatrical releases, do well. It, often it's because of a grassroots marketing campaign. We saw that with The Chosen being released as a season premiere and a season finale through Fathom Events. And going back just a few years ago, Lionsgate, and I can only imagine, like these are movies that have really connected with a faith-based audience, which has become a very reliable one for theaters. And I think sales for this one look really strong. It's having early shows on Wednesday. We don't know for sure if that's going to be included in opening weekend or not. Usually that is kind of the status quo for most studios, but it's not 100% of the time. And whether or not they are might impact what that opening weekend is going to look like. I think if they are, I would not rule this out as a dark horse to maybe open to similar numbers as something like close to, I can only imagine maybe it can even kind of rival cocaine bear for whatever is going to be number two over the weekend. It's had a lot of that grassroots buzz so far. So it's Jesus Revolution, Kelsey Grammer versus Cocaine Bear for uh, <laughs> yeah. who, who gets higher around the 10 million mark opening weekend. Sean, do we have stats on how many theaters this is going out to? How like how wide is it? We do. As of last week, Lionsgate was estimating a location count of 2,250. So certainly a wide release, maybe not quite on the scale of other major releases that are usually 3,000 plus, but certainly enough to keep it in contention for those potential ranges we were talking about and comparable to what Fathom released The Chosen in, except in this case, it's not just you know, one or two screenings a day. This is a fully fledged multiple showtimes throughout the weekend. 
It'll be interesting to kind of compare those to box office or three, I guess, because the, the chosen had its theatrical episodes air kind of in two parts. That 2200 and change is definitely better than Magic Mike's Last Dance a few weeks back, going out only to 1500 screens. It sounds like maybe exhibitors outside of huge markets who want to screen Luigi's Revolution might actually be able to. Yeah, what a concept. <laughs> what a concept. I mean, with a film like this, you got to expect that you know, those non-huge market, the non-New York and LA are going to be the ones that really kind of top the list in terms of this film's going to make. Yeah, absolutely. This is a movie that is going to play across middle America and maybe a lot of markets, especially in the South, that tend to drive faith-based movies. Families trip out to the movie theater. Mom and dad can go see Jesus Revolution. The edgy teenagers can go (laughs) see Cocaine Bear and the kids can see Ant-Man again. It sounds like a great weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Sean, for that analysis. When we come back from a quick break, we'll be hearing from Daniel Luria and Wanda Gearhart of Cinemark. But first, a quick message from this week's sponsor, Jack Rowe, whose ticketing and POS solutions has customers singing its praises. Julie and Jeff Eisentrout of Eisentrout Theaters say, and Jack Rowe has expertly responded to the growing digital needs of the industry and developed a product that is both logical and operator-friendly. Their support has always been timely, helpful, and reliable. Perhaps more important are the relationships we've developed. Jacker's team has always been available when needed and treat us like we're part of the family. For more information, visit www.jackrow.com. That's www.jacro.com. And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, with our guest here, Wanda Gearhart the global chief marketing and chief content officer for Cinemark, the third largest exhibition circuit in the United States. Wanda, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be talking about a rebrand, new logo, new look, new theaters for Cinemark rolling out across the nation this year and coming soon to your Latin American circuit. I don't know where to start, so I'll just start with a very general question about where the industry is today. Because we're in a situation where movie theaters are working harder and harder to establish themselves as a distinct brand, as a unique experience. And I wanted to ask you how that influenced your approach in this major revamp of Cinemark's look and feel across its entire circuit today. Yeah. You know, I just think the world and consumers' tastes have changed. I mean, we're really becoming the experience economy. So by that, I mean, you know, to distinguish ourselves, it's a complete night out from the time you think about going to a movie to the time you go into the theater to the time you're in the auditorium watching a movie. And I think we have to up the ante on that whole experience because, as you said, we can't distinguish ourselves as brands unless we set out with the very methodical point of view of what that experience looks like. I mean, you know, we started this just because we started thinking about this more deeply, and our project started pre-COVID, right? How are we going to grow? What's going to differentiate us in the future? And, you know, I just kind of connect the dots from what's going on in the world. So, you know, if you look at all the shareworthy experiences that people do on Instagram, experience matters. They document everything. There's all those home decorating shows like Chip Joanne, the Fixer Uppers. There's just all these influencers, I think, that over time have slowly 
influenced Mass America's expectations and just requirements and how they perceive a venue and how we articulate our brands to them. It's more multi-sensory. I think years ago, they probably just came into theaters and came to the movie. We didn't need to do much. We put up the walls. We had a few concessions. And now I think the ante is up. Like, we have to create an experience from sort of beginning to end and that and evolve our spaces and just really think about, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about our vision, our mission, our positioning, where we're going to sit amongst our competitors, what's going to make us different. How do we take our character of who we are as a brand and how do we show it? And then how do we say it in our tone of everything that we communicate in our brand and in all of our communications? So I think, and everything just needs to, I think it's so important nowadays that everything needs to feel connected. So it's the pieces and the parts to building a brand that make the whole to me. So, you know, we like to think of it from You know, during this whole process, we used this philosophy called mise-en-scene where we thought about, it's you know, filmmaking where they think about a set, right? And they think about everything in a scene, whether it's the furniture or the music or the costumes or all of those things create that um, immersion into that world, right? So I think we have to create these more immersive, dynamic, experiential experiences and think through all those parts from beginning and end. And I think they all have to live together harmlessly. They have to work together and feel like they're congruent to the customer to create this whole experience. Now, I know how you guys approach projects at Cinemark. I think probably the best example of this Cinemark approach to innovation we saw with the movie club concept you came in, that it wasn't something you just jumped into and said, let's do a subscription. You innovated by looking at different examples, looking at different out-of-home experiences, looking how subscription works in parallel industries outside of cinema. What was the approach that you guys took, maybe not only you know cinema-focused, but slightly outside of that, in approaching your rebrand? Yeah, we did a lot of in-depth research. So we worked with our in-house creative team, strategy teams, and then we augmented with some outside agencies and really did a lot of qualitative and different types of research techniques. And through all of those, we're trying to understand where is the customer moving and what are those needs and what are those key points in their relationship with us where we could improve upon and really think about that. And we felt like, you know, we hadn't spent a lot of time updating our communications. It's been several years since we updated our logo and to make us more fresh and brand and energetic. So we went through this whole deep research and we went through a consumer journey research within our theater and did a lot of different research techniques to figure out where the high points are and where the low points are as someone, you know, walks through and goes to the ticket taker and gets their ticket or walks to the concession stand. How do they feel then? What happens after they buy their concessions? What's that moment feel like for them? And when they walk through into the hallways, what does that moment feel like? And where are the downs and the lows and the highs? Because the idea, when you think about other um, entertainment venues and you look at like the Disney's and the Universal's and all those people of the world there, they think about it from beginning to end and where those experiences are. So we really wanted 
all those consumer touch points to feel joyful and immersive and lead to anticipation so that by the time you walked into the auditorium doors and sat down in your seat and saw the movie, your whole thing felt great. Yeah, it's such an important part of that experience, I think, for any consumer in this e-commerce economy, right? If I'm leaving the home, what sort of experience or feelings are evoked where I go? You know, these places, these physical places really have to have an emotional connection with folks to remain relevant. Can you talk about how those changes are occurring at Cinemark Theatres around the country and sort of the timeline of that launch and also around the world, because as we know, Cinemark's business, Cinemark's brand is a leading voice in exhibition in Latin America as well. Yeah, I'll take that in chunks. So, you know, the first part of it is we really wanted to focus on a lot of like, we want it to feel immersive, right? A superior immersive experience, frictionless. So we worked a lot on the how you buy a ticket frictionless, how do you get through the theater frictionless. We focused a lot on service, so we're, you'll see us rolling out more on delivering on higher quality of service. We already do so much and spend so much capital on the experiential side of our movies once you're in our auditoriums, right? We have the number one private label premium large format in the country. We have the highest reclined amount of seats. We're offering D-Box. We have the best light levels. We've rolled out laser projections. So we have that piece down. Once you're inside the auditorium, that's amazing. So we were trying to focus on all the other parts of that experience. So we're in the process of, um, you know, it's a phased rollout. Can't get everything done at once. Um, (laughs) As much as I would like to. So, you know, we started with all the with all the digital customer points. So, right, our, we redid our logo, which we hadn't touched in several years. We, you know, put it into our email and our app and our signage. We redid all of our employee uniforms that will begin to roll out this year. All of our S&B vessels will roll out. So we unveiled all of that, mostly in the beginning to our digital channels, because that was the easiest and fastest, right, with the tone of voice and It's all larger than life and cinematic and fun and energetic. And then each of our new theaters showcase new branding. We're just, you know, we just launched Missouri City is the first in Houston this past November that will have all of those elements together. So it'll have the theater design with all the pieces and parts that I can walk you through. And then it will have all of the employee uniforms, all the vessels, all the rebranding, All of it comes together there, which is a nice kind of incubator. And then over the next year, we're going to continue just rolling out theater groups at a time, all of our updated signage and just phasing that to refresh it throughout the end of the year. And then every part of great branding is not just visual side of it, right? It's the experiential side too. So we're working closely with on just a deeper focus on service levels and what does that look like with our new brand pillars? What is cleanliness? What does that look like? So just working on a ton of different initiatives like that. Yeah, and when you think about rebrands, like you mentioned, there's so many different touch points. It's not just the logo. It's not that simple. You have to think about F and B containers. You have to think about uniforms. You have to think about you know signage. There are just so many different aspects to 
creating that new experience, that new feeling for consumers as they come through your doors. To be open about it, what was the most challenging part in tackling a project like this that you spearheaded? I think in trying to, one, time it all together to make an impact. So we're having we're rolling it out in right phases, right? So we can kind of test and learn a little bit. And then it's just, you know, we have to gain buy-in and we slowly roll it out. So I think it's just figuring out where to roll it out and getting it out and get everyone bought into it. And, you know, it's all, so not only because it's not only visual, it's experiential. We're now having to build all the training modules and all of those things we'll focus on. It's not a one-year journey. It's a three to four-year journey, right? Because we're going to put we're going we're gonna to build off of all of these great things. You know, our vision and our purpose is, you know, we enrich lives, we build community, we transport people to amazing new worlds. So we're trying to deliver, we're trying to work through all of those operational sides of how do we deliver. It can look good and pretty, but now we need the rest of it, which we're already really great at, but just kind of upping the ante on all of that. What I find really interesting in this generation of the latest rebrands as circuits start approaching this challenge is that the last time a lot of major circuits and multinationals went through this experience, the industry was mostly concentrated to going to the theater. So this was just an experience where you engaged with a brand in the theater itself. And once you left, you left that experience. Today, with the digital world, with having a social media strategy, having an Instagram page, having a Facebook community, that's not the case anymore. Your brand exists and is vibrant outside of your doors and into the world. Can you go into that process of how that digital world influenced this project? Yeah, so we actually, we first started building out, uh, I've been at Cinemark almost five years now, and we first started building out all of our digital capabilities, right, and going on through a digital transformation, because part of this whole service proposition is we have to make it as frictionless and easy, right, to buy a ticket with us and to have a great night out as possible. And then once you're in the theater, how do we make, you know, we smooth all those touch points and you can now buy your, you have snacks in a tap where you can buy your snacks ahead of time. You don't have to stay in line. We'll actually deliver it to your seat. So we had to also, while we were working on all of this visual stuff a few years ago, we had to put together how are we going to communicate all of this to your point, right? And then how do we make sure we're hitting on all of those notes in our social media, all of our digital, revamped our website, launched our mobile app. So we have all of that, which just makes it easier and less friction to buying a ticket and coming and seeing a great movie with us. So it's all extremely important because I think it's that constant communication and a reminder, which we use all those tools to hit on all of our brand premises like an immersive experience. We want everything to be bolder than life and cinematic and kind of talking about our value proposition, our great XD screens and all of our technology and our laser projectors. And we use all of those communications channels to constantly surround the customer and remind them because if they just come in once, right, it's just that ecosystem. So if your building exemplifies that, your service level has that, and then all of your communications are just supporting and reinforcing all of that, it's a win. Like every touch point has to work in tandem with each other. 
Oh, they're totally interrelated. And I think, as you mentioned, the branding aspect of it ends up being what the consumer first engages with as part of your overall marketing strategy and marketing campaign. And we're in a position where theaters are putting this greater focus on marketing themselves first, or just as importantly, alongside the film. A generation ago, theater marketing, brand marketing and exhibition was putting an ad in the local paper with showtimes. Now things have uh, changed considerably. Is you're leading this new generation, this future in marketing, in exhibition for a major multinational circuit, what makes you the most excited? What opportunities do you think there are out there to really continue rewriting this game plan that we've seen over the years? I just think, you know, in exhibition, leading this whole integrated philosophy of design and branding and I think it's just going to up the experiential I think it's our future I mean we have to meet the customer where they're moving and the customer experiences so many of these things outside of our industry right so I think bringing us up rolling this out internationally which we're working is our next wave as we roll it out in the U.S. and I just think that you know I think it creates distinction, right, which then helps you maintain or take more market share because you're a complete experience. You're a complete night out and it's fun and it's energetic and people like going there and it's well thought out. I'd like to say that, you know, everything, great form, you can't have in of itself. It has to have form and function. So we think about everything on, yes, is it conveying the brand? But yes, Is it making it frictionless and function well for the customer and kind of enhance their experience with us from beginning to end, from the time they buy a ticket to the time they leave the theater? If we're on our game, we've thought through all of those touch points and are really honing them and making them feel congruent. So it's just an exciting night out. You should feel feel entertained the whole time. And I can tell you, I grew up internationally in Mexico going to a, a Cinemark theater in my hometown And I know you guys have done a lot of consumer research, so I'm just going to ask you the tough question now that I've been waiting to ask you here at the end. What's going to happen in the future with former Cinemark mascot Front Row Joe, the cartoon cat that I grew up watching? Is there any indication that I'll ever get to see him again? I've been missing him for years, Wanda. Anything you can do to help me out here? We love Front Row Joe. So we we, We use Front Row Joe. We've kind of modernized him. And we used him in a lot of our party rooms with our kids' party rooms and birthday parties and things like that. So um, he still exists. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Wanda. Anything else that you want to hit on? You know, another big initiative of ours is that, you know, people go to the cinema to feel, to indulge partly too, right? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to create more immersive food and beverage experiences. So in our redesign of the Missouri City, you'll see new fixtures where it's just the candy shelves are lit and we're using color blocking and how we lay out the candy bars and merchandise them just to make it fun and indulgent and then... You know, one of the spots as you walk through in all of our research, the whole theater is going down the hallway. Sometimes people's excitement kind of diminished a little bit because they got all their great snacks and they're thinking about their licorice and their popcorn, they buy them, and then they start walking down the hallway and it kind of, you know, 
excitement toned down a little. So we really spent a lot of time in the research trying to figure that out. So we created a lot of, you'll see in the photos, a lot of drama with lighting, which is a super inexpensive way to do it. And putting up some other techniques in the hallways to just really keep that excitement building. So you just, you feel excited the whole time until you get into your movie. And that does it for this week's episode of the Box Office Podcast. This week's episode was brought to you by Jackrow, whose ticketing point of sale system, or Tapos, has customers singing its praises. Mark Williams of Scott Cinemas says, We have worked with Tapos for over 25 years using its ticketing and concessions point of sale, as well as online booking and card payment facilities. They've helped us navigate an ever-changing landscape and helped us as an independent cinema operator to keep our ticketing modern. We have worked closely with the development and support teams to customize the system to meet our needs, with particular focus in recent years on working towards a cloud-based head office. For more information, visit www.jacro.com. That's jacro.com. New episodes of the Box Office Podcast come again every Thursday. Thank you again for your support, and we will talk to you again next week.